Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work. Good afternoon and welcome to radio show from Engage for Success number 390, how to get co-workers to like each other. Today, we're going to be talking about how to skyrocket trust, communication and teamwork. I'm Jo Dodds, your host for today. I'm an engagement consultant working within the Engage Success core team. The Engage Success movement is an inclusive movement committed to the idea that there is a better way to work by releasing more of the capability and potential of people at work. We spread the word about employee engagement and shine a light on good practice, inspiring people and workplaces to thrive. And we're widely supported across the UK involving the public, private and third sectors. If you go to our new website, if you haven't uh, checked it out in the last few weeks, then I urge you to go over there and look at our beautiful new website um, at engageforsuccess.org. You can use uh, links at the bottom of the pages to join the newsletter list and our social media links are there too. My guest today is Jason Troy, who's Chief People Officer and company, a company culture and leadership expert. Welcome, Jason. Thanks for joining me. Hey, well, th- thanks for having me on the show and congrats for the new website. And that's always exciting. Yeah, we're very excited. We've been around uh, 10 years and we're doing a, a lot to celebrate that. And uh, I think this is our uh, third or fourth iteration, one, two, three, fourth iteration of the website. So it's, uh, it is exciting to have finally got it live. So uh, there we go. So. Start by telling us a bit about who you are and what you do, Jason, and uh, and where you are. <laughs> right. Well, I'm uh, based in the U.S. in the central part in Dallas, Texas. And, you know, I work with leaders, teams, groups, organizations, and then also HR departments to help on everything from leadership to training managers to building better cultures, focusing on the, you know, employee experience and engagement areas. So it's a pretty wide range of things, but it's really around helping people reach their potential, bring out the best, and then really bring in best practices to help people really do their jobs the best they can and maximize their results. Lovely. Thank you. And so today, today we're talking about getting coworkers to like each other and to have trust and to work as a part of a team. What are the challenges of uh, teamwork in the current environment? What, what's, what's the latest? <laughs> well, I mean, I think that right now when you think about it, 80% of the work that people do is based on collaboration. It's not based on what you do. And I think that makes it really complicated. And obviously now when you're doing more video than in person because of the current environment, and when you look forward, it's most likely for many people going to be more of a hybrid than it is going back to the office itself. It makes it really challenging to work together and to get things done. And when you think about it, because it's so essential to do that, the challenge is, is that really no one's focused on helping people work together, right? I mean, mm-hmm. I've spoken to thousands of executives and asked them about if they ever in the company history had a top five priority that was on teamwork, that was on collaboration, and I've yet to hear one. And that's, yeah. you know, obviously really surprising, but it's no wonder why people don't get along very well in groups and get frustrated with their managers, with their leaders, with their teams, with other people. 
because just like many of the things that we do, it's a learned behavior. And if you don't know how to do it and don't know the components of it, you won't be able to do it very well, or it's very haphazard, right? You're in an environment yeah. one time where you do really well, and then you don't, and you don't, and then you blame it on the people or the circumstances when the reality is there's a lot under your control. And there's a lot of things that you just don't understand and you're treating it like an art when there is a science behind it and considerable amount of data. Because mm -hmm. I think, you know, before the sort of pandemic situation we were in, I, I'm not sure that we've ever been that good at collaborating um, sort of generationally yeah. anyway. I mean, you know, we, I, I've talked a bit and heard people talk about the fact that our children are much better at collaborating uh, than, than we are because we were sort of you know encouraged to be much more individual <laughs> um, than they are perhaps now in the education system so we perhaps weren't that good at it before and of course we've now had to cope with doing that remotely and there's so much talk about sort of the water cooler moments and how because we don't have those yeah. you know it's hard to work together what are your thoughts on that because I, I, I never think it's as simple as everyone seems to say but <laughs> no and I think when you take a look at in the U.S. they did a study about looking at you know uh, fifth and sixth graders and they showed that like only less than 10 percent of them were actually good at collaborating and working together right so it's it it, it it stems well part of that is you know reason is now that you know like my daughters are in high school and instead of talking to each other at least you know here they're texting each other right and so and i think you know not having all this interactions during covid is going to hurt children moving forward because that's, that's how you learn but i think in the workplace, it's really the same thing. I mean, when you look at the data, right, I was looking at Gartner, Gartner data about, you know, leaders and managers, are they prepared for the future, right? Do they have the skill sets? Do they have the knowledge to lead their teams, organizations, and groups forward? And their results were that 93% of managers don't and 77% of leaders and senior leadership don't, right? And that's, that's beyond the U.S. And I think it's just, that becomes that you don't know how to get people to trust each other. How do you actually create things called psychological safety where people can dissent in groups? How are you actually getting information from people? How are you sharing? How are you looking at milestone events and getting the lessons learned? I mean, there's mm -hmm. a lot of things that have to go into this in order to create great teamwork together in order to move it forward and it, it is though you throw people in an environment and expect them to work right and figure it out on their own and this starts from onboarding itself right they throw you in a company or a new group of people or whatever it might be and they say go figure it out well mm -hmm. it's not so easy because you don't know people's working styles you don't know how they think. You don't know their experiences. You don't know their preferences. And frankly, you never figure those out. You just guess, right? Most, almost all of teamwork, when you think about it, is you putting your blueprint, how you see the world, and then trying to figure out other people through that lens. And we mm. know that from our personal, that doesn't work, right? From our personal lives, whenever we try to think what someone else is doing, we often find it that we're in, we're in constant trouble challenges right that's what people through marriages yeah. figure this out right i mean like <laughs> the other person doesn't think like them like they have to figure that out well that's the, that's the same thing in the workplace but there's no systematic way and there's no way that people are really looking at this they're just having it go very haphazard right i mean i used to work you know one of the things i worked at hp 
you know, this is probably now going on over 10 years ago, or probably 15 years ago. And I had to work internationally with other people. And one of the first things I started to ask people unknowingly at the time was, tell me, you know, one of the biggest challenges was working with people in the U.S. Tell me about how your environment works differently than here. And I asked them a lot of questions about things that no, and they were like, well, no one ever really asked us that question before. And it enabled me to work with them better because I understood their environment preferences and how they like to communicate, especially with time changes and getting deadlines and other things that really were difficult for them. And all I did was I took notes and then I just did them. And amazingly in a year before, like everyone that I was working with was like, oh my gosh, Jason's so great to work with them. Right. And I was like, well, I mean, I'm talented, but I'm not that great. And, and a lot of it just because I listened, I took notes and I did what they told me to do. And again, some of this may seem simplistic, but really no one does this as a group and individuals. And they're not. And what I didn't know at that time that I learned later on was that it built a lot of trust from the beginning because they knew that I cared and I took the time to do things that other people didn't. And so they reciprocated that. So my relationships were built differently than my colleagues were. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about some sort of strategy tips, ideas to, to help people to think about this. Because, you know, people the world over are trying to either work better as a team or help other people to work better as a team or to, you know, whether that be, you know, sports work. Um, children's schools, whatever. What what sort of things should people be doing? Well, one of the things to do first is realizing that trust is the building block for all our relationships in our personal life. So it should be, it's the same way in the business world. People are no different. And I think when you're working remotely with people, trust even matters more because you don't have face-to-face contact to build relationships. And right now with COVID, you don't even, like if you're geographically in the same place, oftentimes, or most people haven't met as well. So that's where the first start. And when you look at it, I was looking probably a handful of years ago and I was doing a TED talk and like how to build trust. And it was one of the hardest, most frustrating things because there's like no activities. What people tell you is that, well, I I complete my work on time and, you know, I'll figure out how to build trust over time with someone because I'm very trustworthy or you'd read data like that or or things. And it made absolutely zero sense because it wasn't like do this and you can get something out of it. So I came across a study by Professor Arthur Aaron that he did back in 1997 to build interpersonal closeness between people. And he had them ask, vulnerable questions to each other, complete strangers, right, in groups. And what happened is over 45 minutes, they asked each of the 36 questions, and 30% of the people rated that relationship as the end, as the closest relationship in their life, meaning that those people knew more about them than, than anyone else. And they replicated mm-hmm. this over geographies, over genders, over ages. It didn't really matter. And it really was a lightning bulb moment for me when I read that to realize that really it's our vulnerability and sharing that we all want and we want to tell each other, but no one does. And those moments and instances are how we build trust and closeness. And it opens a fantastic possibility. Plus we really learn how to interact with someone and what matters to them at a deep level. And so one of the things I tried out was to use this in groups 
And I originally used it in a group where I didn't really know anyone. I got someone I sort of knew to get people together. I wasn't connected. And when I started to just read his questions, what was absolutely phenomenal to me is almost like I was on a reality TV show. People were sharing things in the first hour I was doing this that I was super surprised that they would share between strangers, right? Like, you know, someone shared something about, you know, a family member one of their daughters dying, like someone else had like an eating disorder and just things that were pretty surprising to share. And as they did more of this in groups, I found out that that is really what builds that opportunity to get to know people at a deep level and people are willing to share it. And if you ask the same question in a group of people, what ends up happening is people relate to each other because they either see the experience or the emotion in someone else. And when they see it in a couple people, they attribute it to the whole group. And on top of that, if you have like 10 groups of people, they then attribute it to every single person in the room. And so you have a massive level of trust, whether you're doing it on video, whether you're, I've done it on the phone, whether I've done it in person. And so really the key start thing is to ask questions and ask enough of them to get to know people because the thing about trust is the most important component of it is caring. And that's the difference in the workplace is that the people you trust and the people you get along with, they, you know, they have their back, you know, that they care about you. Right. And so what this does is it speeds up the caring and it opens up an opportunity for significant progress amongst people, wherever they live or whatever, you know, happens. So it's a huge first step that's pretty easy to do and people just don't take the time or, or they don't just do it. Yeah. Yeah. We released some research a good few years ago now about um, engagement from a CEO's perspective. I think it was called engagement through CEO eyes, the report. And one of the things that as I've mentioned many times on this show that struck me as interesting was that one of the issues with, is with chief executives and engagement was that they weren't willing to show vulnerability. They, they found yeah. it difficult to lead from the front and be in charge and be invincible whilst also, you know, showing that vulnerability, which I think you're saying is something that's important. How, how do you sort of um, put those two things together from people in those sorts of positions where they're expected to be the leader? How do you help them to be vulnerable to create that trust? Well, really, I mean, not surprising is men view vulnerability as weakness, right? So that, that's one thing that you have to set straight if you're working with someone at that level. Brene Brown talks a lot about this. That's why, actually, it's really funny. I mean, that's why women actually are, have an opportunity to be significantly better leaders because they don't have that gap in thinking. And a lot of actually what men have are much higher obstacles later on when you get up in the chain to higher levels than actually men do. That's another topic. But one of the things is you have to, you have to show people at that level is that vulnerability is how you get to know people. And if they think that you're just telling them like just the good sides of things, they won't believe you because they know what's not happening. And people want to know that you're a human being and that you're not perfect and that you don't have all the answers and you're willing to level with them. And that's a huge piece of, of trust, right? And then I always go to someone like that and I would say to them, so when you are in a relationship with your partner, right? And spouse or with your kids or with your best friends, do, do you ever share pieces of who you really are with them? 
And they're like, and they're like, yes. And I said, so do they laugh at you? Do they think down at you? And they're like, well, no, right? They're, they're willing to hear whatever. And I'm like, okay, well, wh why would anyone in this company be any different? Do you not think that that's how you build great relationships with people here? You're showing them who you actually are rather than a character of yourself, which they know isn't true. Don't you think they'll probably distrust that a lot more? And then when you go through that, people are like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. And I'm like, and then you just have to script out moments for them to do it and get the evidence. And then people will do it much more. It's just that no mm -hmm. one showed them there's another way and confronted them in a way. I mean, when you take a look at it now during COVID, one of the data pieces that, that's come out is that people are calling the chief executive officer the chief empathy officer. And the human mm -hmm. side of leadership now is actually at the forefront of the differentiator in the metrics and actually getting companies significantly better, right, on the profit and revenue side. And there's tons of data, there's tons of data on all this stuff, right? So that, that mm -hmm. part of it now is past the hurdle. It's now whether people want to embrace the moment or whether they want to ignore it and, and continue to do a lot of the things that they've done in the past. Yeah. And of course, because there are a number of CEOs where you wouldn't dream of saying that they were the chief empathy officer. <laughs> exactly. That's really what it is, though, right? Because the problem is people don't know their, I mean, this is another thing. People don't know their roles, right? If you're the CEO of a business, really what your job is, you're a psychologist, you're a sociologist, you're a developer, you're a coach, and you're a strategist and visionary at the highest levels. And yes, you have to monitor things, but you have to trust your people to execute. You're just looking at the top line results. And you have to know what's going on in the rest of the organization in order you know, to do this. And part of that is investing in yourself to understand how to be a good leader, leader manager, and, and do teamwork, and then translate it into the you know, company itself by doing things like you know, skip level meetings, meeting with lower level people and seeing how things are going with them and how their managers are doing, right? And mm -hmm. I would say to you another thing that's not really being done in organizations that have done, and I've seen great managers do this really across the globe um, in pockets is they do something called creating a user manual, right? And how to work in the manual. And it's essentially a manual where you have a set of questions that everyone answers and it helps you to work with everyone on the team, you ask them questions like, what are your pet peeves? What are your hot buttons? How do you prefer, how do you like to communicate with people over email, a phone call, video? What works best like for you? Like if you have to confront you with hard news or you know, have a conflict or disagree with something, how do, you, how do you like people to do it? And there's a whole set of questions you can ask and then you know how people want to be interacted with rather than guessing, right? And you, mm -hmm. we guess wrong and predict. And that helps, especially if you're onboarding someone or someone new comes to the team. Or you can even use this in a client or partner situation to try to figure out how to work better with them rather than guessing. Because we guess very poorly as human beings. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So let's carry on the theme of sort of practical ideas and, and suggestions for, for managers and people to better engage. So we've talked about things like the skip level meetings um, and so on. What, what other actual sort of day-to-day -day things can people do to build that trust and um, improve that teamwork? Yeah, I think a huge piece of the managers and what they can do better is start to ask questions of the people that work on their teams about how they're doing, right? and how they can improve, right? I mean, what are things 
that they can do to, to do this? Like a question would be like, what's one thing I currently do that you'd like me to continue to do? What don't I do often enough, right? Another question could be, is there anything I could do or stop doing that would make it easier to work with me, right? Um, how, you know, a question is, how do you find working with the team? Is there anything we can do to improve the team culture, right? Like, what, and, and even questions such as, like, what can we do to make our meetings more effective, or even our one-on-one meetings more effective, right? And questions like, do I give you enough feedback? If not, how often would you like to get them in what areas? And I often think one of the things that people don't do is to ask other people questions on how they can do better and to monitor things, right? I mean, I'd say another thing that people, all of people do is actually ask the people that work for them, and you can do it in reverse order as well um, to figure out how their relationship is, right? Because the problem is we often guess our relationship is either good or great, but we don't actually know because we've never really asked the person. So it's actually not real because they have never indicated where it is. So I ask a simple question, like how would you rate our relationship on a scale of one to 10? And then you get the number and you ask why and they give it to you. And then the question is, how can I move it closer to a 10? And then you get the data and you follow up in a period of time, like a month or two, and you go back and continually ask the same set of questions. And you introduce it by saying to someone, look, I want to build a great relationship with you and I want to ask you a question. And also, I want to make sure I understand where a relationship is because if I don't know that, how can I improve it? And I may be missing some things. Would you try an experiment with me um, in order to do something? And everyone's always said yes. It's a little awkward to ask in the beginning, but people take it and run with it. And it's something that people can do very effectively um, uh, really in a peer-to-peer -peer managing someone, you can even, I, I have people do it with their boss and people are really willing to do it. And they've seen significant changes because it shows you care when you're asking this question and that relationship actually matters beyond, mm -hmm. even though you may be awkward, right? So a lot of it is best practice and questions and things that you're driving to get the results and driving more human transparency and trust and understanding what's really going on rather than believing it or thinking it or guessing. And what about those situations where people don't answer honestly? <laughs> and I, I know it's a bit of a, a, a sort of, a, I don't know what the explanation of, of that would be, a, um, some figure of speech that you're, you're asking people to be honest about trust <laughs> and they're not. But, you know, people are, um, are often, um, you know, worried about being totally truthful with people and giving people the real feedback and you sometimes or often get quite a sanitized version of it as a manager having asked those questions how do you ensure that you get the honest answers and how do you ensure that what you're doing is making a difference and improving things because you, you well, ask and and I feel yeah. like you're doing loads but actually still have a rubbish relationship could yeah you, you could and I think part of it is you have to tell someone that if I don't have the information I can't do anything with it Right. Yeah. And, 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 and if you feel like someone's not giving it to you, you can say, look, I need to know the hard truth. This is not a judgment. Like, this is about trying to improve. My, my, my goal here is to continuously improve and get better. And I know I'll, I have things I have to get better on. I don't take it personally. I don't get defensive about it. What I'm trying to do is get better. And I can't get better is I have absence of information. 
Now, you cannot force someone to do something like this, right? But what usually happens is if someone doesn't give you, like, all, like all the information you want, but you continuously ask it, they will. Because they'll start to understand that it's real and you're taking it like it's something that's important. So some of this, you just have to stay the course with people because it depends on where your relationship is. It depends where the culture is. It depends on a lot of things. So there yeah. may be obstacles you're facing. So I'm not saying like everything here you're going to do, you're going to see instantaneous results because it may be that you're battling a challenging culture where people really just aren't vulnerable and open. Well, in that case, you're just going to have to keep trying to do these things because then you're going to see results because people eventually just will because they, everyone wants to be seen and heard and be real and not have to put on right armor and just not be transparent. But they often don't feel that they can. So you, you've got to continually just go and, and stay the course. And most likely if that happens within 60 to 90 days of doing this, you're going to see a difference if you keep doing it because people, people are people no matter where they are in the world and I work with them enough that eventually they will start, you know, you'll be able to direct them and lead them where you want them to go. Yeah. Yeah. Now we're just going into the last sort of five minutes of the show and I'm intrigued about your bio that talks about a culture and team building game. Tell us more about that. Yep. So it's a game called cards against mundanity. And what it is is based out of the research I talked before and with cards against mundanity, essentially it's, Pre, it's questions that you can use and answer either one-on-one -on -one with some people to get to know them significantly better, right? Either internal, external to the organization, right? Whatever it might be. It could be prospects. It could be customers. It could be partners. It could be your teammates. I mean, obviously, you can use this also in groups, right? So you could have a group of people that you're trying to work with on a new project or even one in people that you've known for a long time, and just play a game, right? And, it, and, it's, and what the game is, the questions I've used and built, they're vulnerable enough to help build trust really fast with other people. And so that's mm -hmm. the key in doing it. And what it does is people don't necessarily, you don't even need to tell them that it happens because it allows them to share information about their personal experiences and who they are and their life. And when you start to know that, you'll find that you can work better with these people. You'll find that they'll care more about you and they'll care about supporting you and helping you and actually helping you be successful. So a lot of these things can be done without even sharing anything other than saying to someone, hey, I've got a game to play that would be fun. It's question and answers, right? Um, you know, yeah. there's a lot of games like this. Would you be open to playing a couple questions? And every time that happens, People are like, oh, my God, I have to play this because I have to know what it is, right? People can't go living without knowing what's going on, especially when it's a game. Well, once you get through a couple questions of it, you want to play more because it's a lot of fun and you can share and open up and be real and do it. And in fact, it's really funny because when I have introverts play this, they're like, oh, my God, if this is how real life could be for me, I would love talking to people. It's the it's the. <laughs> It's, it's the questions that I don't want to ask that are throwaway that tire me out. It doesn't, what doesn't tire me out is actually having real conversations because I have very little or few of them. So yeah, it's a great yeah. way to open up with people. And, you know, people, there's a physical card deck and there's also just, you know, a PDF and people use these by just 
any way they can um, with people to get to know them. And they see pretty dramatic results because it opens the door for a lot of things. And you know people better. Like, you know, I've done this probably now at like maybe 120 conferences. And I'll, I'll ask people, how many people know the answers to the questions after you played them inside of your small group, like other people? And I'll very rarely have hands raised in groups. Mm-hmm. So that's, you know, 30, 40,000 people, like, have gone, like, probably like 80,000 people have played it, but, you know, my groups. And so what it tells me is the bar is very low. People really don't know the people that are working around them. So if you try a little bit more, you'd be amazed at how, what pe- how people receive you and the information they'll be willing to share with you, which yeah. helps you significantly, you know, in working with them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And as you say, you sort of said in passing, introvert people quite often don't want to do chit-chat. They don't want um, small no. talk. The, de- the deep stuff is, is actually easier, isn't it? It yeah. is, and that's what they want to do, mm-hmm. right? And, they, and the problem yeah. is they opt out. So that's the issue that ends up happening is that everyone sees the world differently and has things going on, and they want mm-hmm. to dive into the deep side of the questions. They just don't know how to do them. So when there's yeah. a question that's in front of them, they just answer it. But if you ask yeah. them, it's kind of awkward. But the game itself allows you to get there quicker, faster, and spend a lot mm-hmm. less time building these relationships yeah. because – the questions do it for you yeah lovely thank you jason i told you it was going to go quick it has we're at the end of the show thank you so much for everything that you shared with us today you're welcome thanks it's great to be on the show and just to let you know next week uh, we've had a change of schedule and actually we're hoping to get david mcleod and nita clark our co-founders on the show to talk about the 10 years on uh, reflections um we've i think got at least one of them if not to both of them that's the plan for next week and Joe Moffat will be back with you then. Engage for Success Radio, raising the profile of employee engagement and shining a light on good practice for people who believe there's a better way to work.